This is a Soulfire production. Yo, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Politically Homeless. I'm glad you're here. We got a lot to talk about today. A lot's been going on. One of the things I'm really excited about covering today, something that's going to surely lose me followers on the gram, which is kind of par for the course these days, um, is the 2000 Mules documentary. That uncompelling piece of trash that I spent $30 on. And since I spent $30 on that stupid fucking documentary, uh, I'm going to exploit it as much as I can by playing some clips here and getting as much content as I possibly can from the nonsense. And it was pretty clear that it was a grift from the beginning because it's $30. That's like two months worth of HBO Max, okay? <laughs> like, let's be real here. But that Dinesh guy's got to make some money um, lying to people, so it is what it is. Fun stuff, good times. It's been a really uh, really nice week out here in Colorado. It's, um, it's sunny. been playing golf. Been doing the things. Just, just, just embracing my mid-30s whiteness. It's a weird time. It's a weird time. Some other big things coming down the pipe that I'll be telling you about soon in my own personal life. Where I really share most of my like personal things is in the Patreon. And if you care about those things, which you probably don't, but if you do, patreon.com slash politically homeless bonus episode every single week, ad free episodes of this show, politically homeless and of thought criminals, which I will be recording some more soon since I had to reschedule several episodes due to my flu situation, which was really really frustrating, but I'm alive again. I'm alive again. I feel normal again for the most part. It's been so nice to get back in the fucking gym and just live my life as normal, which has been a a, a novelty these past couple years. (laughs) Oh, guys, we're going to talk about Rand Paul a lot today. we got some, actually, the Biden administration doing something good on top of all of the absolute nonsense. We'll talk about uh, baby formula, Ukraine a bit, crack pipes again, and as I alluded to before, this um, this two thousand mules documentary, um, and we're also going to talk about who is the silent majority now. Who is the silent majority now? It's a good question. Giving to give you something to think about. But we got a long one today. We got lots of topics to cover. Let's go ahead and jump right into it. It's time to get into the state of things. Make sure to jump into that Patreon if you are into this kind of thing. And if you don't have the means to do so. A simple review on Apple Podcasts be very nice. Maybe a share on social media. I don't know. Give me some love, guys. Give me some love. Let's go right now. Let's go. Let's do it. Okay. Fox News. The bastion of truth. I actually had a TikTok go semi-viral finally again. Got like 180,000 views, which isn't crazy. On That's not that many on TikTok. But uh, they've let me stay on this time, which is nice. I got like three videos deep on the second second go around. Banned again. So third time's a charm, it seems like. Maybe. We'll see. I've got like 600 followers now. But uh, I was ripping on some on CNN or Brian Stelter or whatever. Something like that went viral. Um, and people are like, well, at least Fox News doesn't just make things up. I'm like, well, I, I really hope you don't believe that. And if you have any doubts about the inaccuracy of that um, statement itself. We're going to help you out. 
<laughs> so here is, and I love, I mean, I wish I, I wish there was a tracker. I wish somebody would make this, the tracker for how many times the word woke is used on Fox News. Every time I hear it, I think a, a, an angel loses its wings. It's just so fucking obnoxious. Like, woke this, woke that. It's just like where they're at now. It is where they are at on Fox News. It, the boomers have gotten a hold of it, and it is just disgusting. I can't, uh, I remember, I remember when woke meant like you did a little bit of ayahuasca and kind of like saw through the fuckery of reality, and now it's, Something completely different. So let's check this out. This is a woke U.S. companies reportedly offering to pay for abortions. So let's check out what uh, the Jesse Waterson's Waters Prime Time. I don't know these people's names. Jesse Waters Prime Time uh, has to say about it. Somebody's sitting in for him, but it's all the same. They're interchangeable over there at Fox News. Well, it's a competitive hiring market out there, and companies are realizing they need to step it up, step up their employees' benefits. Oh no! Oh no! Companies need to earn your employment. What a dystopian hellscape. Packages if they want to bring in and retain top talent. Health insurance, check. 401k, you know it. Paid time off more days than you can count. But that's all standard these days. What else can you do to sweeten the deal? Well, will you pay for my abortion? A lot of companies are saying yes. Roe v. Wade still hasn't been officially decided, but woke corporatists are already lining up to take a stand and virtue signal for their left-wing employees. They're getting in front of the decision and telling workers that they'll happily pay for their abortions and the travel for their abortions. Clothing brand Levi Strauss and Company, you know, they make jeans, says if abortion is banned in any states where their employees live, they'll pay all travel expenses to an abortion clinic out of state. Amazon jumped on the bandwagon too, paying up to $4,000 for travel to get an abortion. Companies like Yelp and Tesla, they're in on it too. And there's companies that have already announced they do this months before that leak, like Citigroup. They were anticipating the anticipation. Monica Crowley is host of the Monica Crowley podcast and former <laughs> assistant treasury secretary. Monica, Gross. so great to see you. Nice to see you. Too. So they're out front of it. They're not even waiting for the Supreme Court. This is this right. is the most important thing they can provide their employees. I want to know if Levi Strauss is going to stop making maternity jeans because now apparently they're going to be paying for their female employees abortions and their travel expenses. What a stupid, stupid fucking thing to say. They should quit making maternity jeans because now there's going to be no babies. Uh. Let's just keep going. It just gets worse, guys. Look, I want to know where the fairness comes in. So if you're a female employee at one of these woke corporations doing this and you decide to have a baby, are they going to give you a $4,000 bonus to even it out? To go to the hospital of your preference? Well, if they're paying for a female employee's abortion Mm. and and a woman there decides to have a baby, do they get a $4,000 bonus? Also, if you've got a female employee who wants to undergo fertility treatments to have a baby, are these companies now going to pay for that as well? Look, this is all Okay, here's the fun thing about this woman. Here's the fun thing that cracks me up about this whole line by itself. We're going to get into some more of her completely ridiculous lines later on as she continues to embarrass herself publicly. But here's the thing. All those questions she's asking, would you do this? Would you do that? They're all publicly available. Okay, you listed off seven companies. Do your fucking homework and look it up. It's right there. I'll, I'll just pipe some off the top of my head. Tesla, for example. Tesla, for example, has 16 weeks of maternity leave. 16 weeks. That's your bonus for having a child, okay? I'm assuming if you work at Tesla, you make more than $4,000 in 16 weeks. You get 16 week of the, weeks of maternity leave. Not only that, 
Tesla will cover $25,000, up to $25,000 if you want to do IVF or adoption. So what the fuck are you complaining about, bitch? Really? What are you complaining about? $4,000 or whatever it costs to go out of state, because now they're headquartered in Texas, if it's Tesla we're speaking about here. So they got to go to New Mexico or Colorado, probably. Okay. That doesn't seem like that big of a deal. That's less of a cost, yes, than uh, IVF or adoption for 25000 again, or 16 weeks of maternity leave. But that's not the reason that people make this decision. All this shows is your disconnect with why people actually make that difficult choice. Let's continue. About pro-abortion. This is not pro-choice. Mm-hmm. They say they're pro-choice. But you have to wonder. Where- okay. Let's, let's just rewind it. She says they're not pro-choice, they're pro-abortion. While offering $25,000 for IVF and adoption. So they're actually pro-choice because they're giving you no consequences for whatever option you choose. Whether it's IVF, if you need to do that, if you want to adopt, or if you want to have a child. You have generous benefits regardless. And if you would want to choose to have an abortion because that's your right to choose then you can have that as well. So they actually are pro-choice by default. Like that's, just, that's, that's obvious there. There's your four options. What would you like to do? When these woke corporations do this, are they just trying to avoid paying for maternity leave, which is a lot more Again, expensive? publicly available information that you can look up on any of these companies. <laughs> Benefits are public. Look it up. Do your homework. Don't go onto Fox News and open your mouth, right? Which I'm surprised you can do with the amount of Botox you've had in your fucking face. But let's just, let's move past that. Don't come on here and open your mouth without doing 30 minutes is what it would take you. 30 minutes of your day to answer your own fucking stupid questions. Than say the four grand for travel expenses. Is this a business decision rather than sort of a political commentary that they're making? Let's hope not. I hadn't even thought of that. I haven't even, uh, I haven't this- even thought of that. Of course you haven't, because you don't fucking think, dude. You don't think. You're not paid to think. You're a mouse mouthpiece, bro. I haven't even thought of that. What a fucking clown. You know, in the wake of Disney, when they, they came out and took such a public stance on an issue, mm-hmm. is this company's trying to have their cake and eat it too, meaning we're going to tell our employees we'll pay for your abortion, but we don't want to go out and take a public stance because that didn't work out so well for Disney. Well, you know what's interesting? There is a massive PR firm named Zeno, and it was reported today that they represent big American corporations like Coca-Cola, Netflix, Starbucks, and they advise these corporations, do not comment, do not take a stand on the abortion issue. Very emotional, way too controversial. It remains to be seen whether those corporations do that or actually follow this PR firm's advice. But I think a lot of companies are taking a look at what happened to Disney, where their stock plummeted, people canceled trips to Disney World and Disneyland, a Disney Plus streaming service was faltering. And a lot of these corporations faltering. said, there but for the grace of God go we, and we got to we got to pull back on some of this woke commentary that the pressure is coming from the inside, from the woke millennial employees. Say woke one more time, please. CEOs have to take a stand. They got to grow a backbone. They're the CEO for a reason, and they got the CEOs have to grow a backbone to agree with us. That's what she's saying. They have to grow a backbone so they can agree with. They need to. If they don't agree with us, they're spineless cowards. Maybe they just don't agree with you because you're a dumb bitch. 
I don't understand why that's so hard to understand. Wrap your mind around this. People just don't agree with you. They don't have the same values. They haven't had the same life experience. And that is okay. That is okay. But positioning yourself as on a moral high ground, which doesn't exist, right? This make-believe moral high ground. And then the condescension of saying they need to grow a backbone and think what we think. Do you think that your position on this is some kind of brave position? Do you think that you're some kind of fucking hero? Well, you're not. You're not. Got to tell these employees you want to take to social media and put pressure on this company. That's fine. That's your right. But if you don't like working here because we're all about yes. shareholder value and providing a good or a service, if you don't like it here and and you oppose our position on abortion, well then you're free to go to work for NARAL or Planned Parenthood. Mm-hmm. And by the way, Pete, I've got Planned a great Par- idea for Planned Parenthood. Great Jesus business Christ. idea. They should start with abortion expense insurance. How much you want to bet that they're going to do that? What are that you even talking about? To, to young women. Well, if you live in a state that, you know, is going to restrict abortion, buy this insurance. I know they're already planning ahead on those contingencies, no doubt, because their business model depends on it. Mm-hmm. It's yes. a, a sick and scary one. Monica, thanks. Okay. Well, there's that. I wanted to open up with that because this is the kind of rhetoric that's happening all over the place. It's not enough. It's not enough that Roe versus Wade is getting overturned. You can't just celebrate your victory there, right? Which, as we talked about on this show, I think that the Roe versus Wade situation, the abortion situation on the federal level should be handled in Congress, right? Which is a more democratic body than the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court functions to be anti-democratic. That's, it, it, it's there to, to, to put a barrier between the minority and the tyranny of the majority. Okay, And that makes sense. There is some logic to that. And I appreciate that about the Supreme Court, even though I don't agree with, agree with many of their decisions, especially in the more conservative Supreme Court that we have now. So I would like to see this handled in Congress with debates, and there will be concessions and compromises on both sides. And I would honestly like to see both sides pretty fucking disappointed on the extremes, while the majority of us are they're like, hey, let's keep it around three months, right? Let's keep it around three months and make some sense. And medical exceptions down the road are not abortions. That's a medical procedure that saves the life of the mother. Right, those are that's a different conversation than elective abortions. These are all in good faith arguments, right? But you don't find good faith arguments on this. You find dumb shit like this. And I don't like to call people dumb, right? I know it's pretty brash for me to call her a dumb bitch earlier. I get it. But at the end of the fucking day, here is she holding back, right? And she call, every CEO is a coward now, right? Yeah, if, we, if we've reduced ourselves to name calling, yeah, we have. Okay, and I'm a bit of a dick. So I'm going to do what I'm going to do. But Jesus fucking Christ, guys. Like, <laughs> the fact that this conversation is on primetime TV anywhere in this country is insane. Now, will I defend their right to have this conversation? To my dying breath. But that doesn't mean that I have to sit here and think, oh, well, this is beautiful. This is great. This is, she's really speaking for the, for the, for the American public because she's not. She's absolutely not. But this is where we're at. This is, where we're, this is going to be, I mean, guys, buckle up. Because we're talking about years of this conversation. Years. You think this isn't going to be a major thing in the 2024 election cycle? Oh, God. I hate talking about this stuff so much, but Jesus Christ, here we are. This is where we are, and this will, this is not going away anytime soon. Bad takes from both sides all day, every day, on primetime, mainstream. We'll never get there. We're, this, is, this is for the foreseeable future. 
So we discussed the uh, Ministry of Truth a little bit last week. We've had some more developments here, so we're going to bring this up. Rand Paul is quickly becoming one of my favorite politicians. And um, this, his take here is just, he just absolutely hammers, hammers this dude. What's this guy's name? I forget his name. Anyways, let's keep going. Do you think the Steele dossier included Russian disinformation? <laughs> uh, Senator, um, uh, th- that's not a question that I'm equipped to, to answer. The, uh, it was in the public news. It was a, you may have heard of it, the Mueller investigation. It was a $32 million investigation that went over a couple of years. Uh, Horowitz was an investigator general, and he looked at the FBI's activity in the beginning of this. And what the FBI concluded was that there were FBI agents throughout this period of time who concluded that, yes, the dossier was full of Russian disinformation. So let's say it is Russian disinformation. You say your new disinformation governance board is going to help the public with disinformation. You claim it's not going to be about domestic. It's going to be about foreigners and those evil Russians. So here's my question. The FBI concludes that the Steele dossier was full of Russian disinformation. CNN propagated this disinformation gladly for years and years. The difference, I guess, between your opinion and our opinion is that as despicable as it is that CNN propagated this disinformation, I, I wouldn't shut them down. I wouldn't lecture them. I wouldn't put it on a government website that CNN's wrong for propagating disinformation. The problem you have is you're not even willing to admit. I mean, we can't even have an agreement on what the FBI said was disinformation. How do you propose that you're going to have an office of disinformation governance if you see the problem in even determining what is disinformation? Oh, Senator, because um, our work is not um, focused on disinformation writ large. Where we, the Department of Homeland Security, become involved is when there's a connectivity between disinformation and threats to the security of the homeland. Let well, me that's what the Russians... And those are super, super vague, right? Super vague. This is how they've gotten away with spying on you since, since 9-11, all right? Super vague. Well, who determines what's a threat, Right. Who, de- who determines what is a threat to the homeland? How is the, how, what does that process look like? Who determines that process? Where does that process come from? Where does it go? What does it justify? What are the, what are the, the, the processes of action here? What are your standing op- standard operating procedures? All of that is hidden because you can classify anything that you want to as a threat to the homeland with a little bit of creativity. And they don't even use that much creativity. They just mostly just go with blatant out-and-out lies. It might be considered that. You mentioned the Russians the other day when you tried to pivot away from this being about censorship. But let's say it is the Russians. I know you're not going to ever agree that the Steele dossier, which y'all spent so much money on, was disinformation. But it was, and the FBI concluded. But let's just say there's an imaginary disinformation. You've discovered tomorrow Russian disinformation that's going to hurt our national security. And CNN's broadcasting it. What are you going to do? Senator, let me... You're going to tell Putin... You shouldn't do this. Senator, what Senator, are you going to do? Senator, let me, let me explain what we do in the Department of Homeland Security with respect to disinformation and, frankly, what we've been doing for nearly 10 years across different administrations. The cartels, the cartels propagate disinformation that Title 42 does not apply to a particular community of migrants, migrants from a particular country. How are they propagating this? If I may, through social media. And what we do through U.S. Customs and Border Protection is actually communicate via social media and other channels that that is false. 
that we do apply Title 42. So let's say there's Russian disinformation as well. Are you going to take to social media and broadcast that people are broadcasting something incorrect about what do you think is Russian disinformation? Uh, Senator, let me emphasize. Well, you said the other day Russians, and now you're saying not so much the Russians, you're saying the cartels. No, I'm not. No, I'm not, Senator. You're, you're mischaracterizing well, my statement. Then what are you going to do if there's Russian disinformation? You're going to broadcast me, something on social media? Allow me to share when we become involved in the Department of Homeland Security. We become involved when disinformation poses a threat to the security of our country. It is when there's a connectivity to th a threat to our country. It could be a threat, a connectivity to violence. And what this, what this working group does, uh, what this working group does is precisely what I would think you would want it to do, which is to take a look at the work, the disinformation work that our department has done and ask the following questions. Do we have policies? Do we have guardrails? This is where it gets really, really good. Agree. We can't even agree what disinformation is. This is you well, can't even agree that it was disinformation, that the Russians fed information to the Steele dossier. If you can't agree to that, how are we ever going to come to an agreement <laughs> on what is disinformation so you can police it on social media? Senator, I have two points, if I may uh, finish. Um, uh, number one, that what this office, what the, I'm sorry, what this working group does, because it's not an office, what this working group does is ensure that there are guardrails, definitions, standards to make sure that the free speech rights, the civil rights, yeah. civil liberties, and privacy rights of individuals so are do not you think, do you think COVID did, So here's the thing with this, too. It's like, what are the guardrails? What are the processes? How are they determined? Like this, all, If you're going to do this, then all of that stuff needs to be open source. Every single bit of it. If it changes, it needs to be there needs to be a heads up. I mean, but that's the thing. There's zero transparency into the Department of Homeland Security. Zero. So all that he's saying is just word salad. He's not actually saying a fucking thing. He and all the words that he said, he has not said a single fucking thing of substance. Do you think and COVID? Two, do you think COVID Do you think COVID disinformation threatens our national security? And number two, if I may, Senator. And number two, is it your proposition that when the cartels spread disinformation with respect to our immigration policies to try to lure vulnerable migrants to our border illegally? I think you've got no idea what disinformation is, and I don't think the government's capable of it. Do you know who the greatest <laughs> propagator of disinformation in the history of the world is? The U.S. government. Are you familiar with McNamara, Ooh. the Pentagon Papers? Ouch. Are you familiar with George W. Bush and the weapons of mass destruction? Yowza. Are you familiar with Iran-Contra? I mean, think of all the... Went after Reagan and Bush. Rand Paul keeping it nonpartisan. I love it. Bates and disputes we've had over the last 50 years in our country. We work them out by debating them. We don't work them out by the government being the arbiter. I don't want guardrails. I want you to have nothing to do with speech. You think we can't determine... You know, speech by traffickers is disinformation. You think the American people are so stupid they need you to tell them what the truth is? You can't even admit what the truth is with the Steele dossier. I don't trust government to figure out what the truth is. Second. Government is largely disseminating disinformation. So I do have a question, and here's the question. So the Russians, maybe the Russians, maybe some cartels. What about COVID disinformation? Is that in your bailiwick for your, dis your disinformation governance board? 
Senator, you would have to give me the details with. Okay, here I, I I've said a million times. I've said a million times that cloth masks don't work. YouTube takes me down. They're a private company. I can have that beef with them. Uh, what about you? You're going to look at that. I often say that natural immunity from having had the infection is equal to the vaccine or better. You're going to take that down. There, there, well, first of all, it's, those are very specific, Senator. First of all, it's not for us to take it down, and second of all, are you going to put information not, out there are, saying that I'm spreading disinformation, uh, 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 Senator? We are not the public health experts to make those determinations. <laughs> so, public health won't what be a part of the disinformation coward. governance board. No COVID disinformation. Yes or no, Se Senator? Yes or no? Is public health Senator, going to be somebody, part of your censorship group? Somebody l allow me, because you're you're pre presenting hypotheticals that are vague. And I just gave you a very specific let, one on cloth masks. I gave me, you a very specific you, one on immunity you, from previous infections. I answered your question, but let me let me answer the the last question that you posed. Do not, do not, under any circumstances, accept a vaccine at a FEMA uh, overseen vaccination center because they are actually peddling fentanyl. Now, should I sit back and take that or should I actually disseminate accurate information? That's what we're doing, what we would do. S uh, should FEMA issue accurate information that the vaccinations that we are administering in the sites that we oversee actually are the COVID-19 vaccines. I have, I have a have greater respect for the American people that's than all, you do. I think the American people can Damn. figure out the truth. And if you think the American people need to be told there's not fentanyl in the vaccination, feel free to say it. But the thing is, is if you are going to go around saying that you are the arbiter of information and of disinformation, I think you have no clue. And you don't that. have the perspective history knowing that disinformation, the largest progenitor of it, disinformation in our history has probably been the U.S. government. Today. So we look at that there. I mean, that was just absolutely roasted. That, um, the fentanyl thing, right? With the fentanyl and the vex, like, it's like, is, is it there was a mystery that you would know if you got dosed with fentanyl or not? Like, it's not, it's like, oh, I feel like I'm on a fucking opioid. <laughs> like, it's just that there's not really, it's not, that's not what a vaccine feels like. I mean, this is absolutely insane. He pulls up the most egregious, like, moronic, um, straw manny example. It's like, dude, you got no legs to stand on here. You got no legs to stand on with this disinformation board. And I've never seen it summed up quite like that. And that's one thing I love about Rand Paul at this point. I mean, he's really gained a lot of my respect over COVID and, and continues to uh, when it comes to his principles of free speech. Because as someone who's not even close to a conservative, right? I may have a couple of views that align with some conservatives in some ways. But generally speaking, we're going to be miles apart on many issues. I have respect for the American people. Are there a lot of dumb American people? Yeah. There are, and that's okay. There's a lot of dumb people in the world, and they'll believe dumb shit. But it's not against the law to believe dumb shit, okay? It's natural selection, all right? So, like, if that's the case, that's the case. But at the end of the day, you got to have faith in people to be able to figure things out for themselves, and it's a better society that way, and some people are going to be right, and some people are going to be wrong. And sometimes being wrong means you die. Okay, okay, that's fine. That is what it is. That's life. But at the end of the day, the last person that should, or the last entity that feels like it should have any kind of um, influence on what to, to, to the statement of what is true and what is false is the fucking federal government. I mean, the professional, 
reasonably skilled liars. We see it from both sides. This is not a partisan issue, right? And if you think it is, you're ideologically captured by one side or the other. This is a nonpartisan issue. The federal government, the best you can hope for from the federal government, any of these three-letter institutions, CIA, FBI, um, Department of Homeland Security, like just keep going, whatever it is. The best you can hope for is half-truths because you will never get the truth from those motherfuckers. Never. Okay? It is, is what it is. Half-truths are the best you can hope for. And even that sometimes is too much to ask of these clownish institutions. It's, I mean, what are they going to do? What are they going to do about, what if Ukraine is sharing disinformation? Are they going to shut that down? No. Of course not. Of course not. What if it's some anti-Medicare for all disinformation? Are they going to shut that down? No. Because that's within the framework of the the Overton window that they embrace. So great job, Rand Paul. Again, just continues to gain more and more of my respect. Would love to see him running for president. Would love to see it. I'd love to see him and DeSantis have a showdown. And Trump to be on the sidelines like, you know, tweeting or whatever the hell he's going to do. Because that's, oh, Trump 2024 will be a fucking nightmare for everyone. Conservatives too. Hear me on this. Not the right choice. We've got some really principled people, <laughs> two or three of them, <laughs> in, our, in our federal government that might do a better job than fucking Trump. But guys, this is going to be real fun to see how this all shakes out. Go Rand Paul. Just keep roasting them. I love it. Oddly enough, the Biden administration did something that I actually agree with here. We got low-wage earners to get high-speed internet for $30 in Biden program. Oh, 20 internet providers, including AT&T, Comcast, and Verizon, have agreed to provide high-speed internet service at a steep discount to low-income consumers. The White House announced Monday significantly expanding broadband access for millions of Americans. This is the type of infrastructure that I can really get behind. This is the kind of government investment that I can really get behind here. It says the plan features... Uh, The plan, excuse me, a feature of the $1 trillion infrastructure package passed by Congress last year would cost qualifying households no more than $30 per month. The discounts plus existing federal internet subsidies mean the government will cover the full cost of connectivity if consumers sign up with one of the 20 participating companies. The White House estimates the program will cover 48 million households or 40% of the country. More than 11.5 million households have already signed up to claim the government subsidies. The 100 megabit per second service is fast enough for a family to work from home, complete schoolwork, browse the internet, and stream high-definition movies and TV, the White House says. So I really don't give a fuck about the deaf, high-def movies and TV, but what I'm looking at here when I think about this is giving people that are disadvantaged, right, low-income people, especially low-income people in rural areas. Like, I live in a rural area out here outside of Golden, Colorado, and when we got our, when we signed up for our internet at our new house here, we had to have fiber put in, which was great. I wanted fiber, but they would not let us sign up unless we did fiber because they were converting everybody in our area to uh, to cable fiber internet. So, which is fine. That was great, and we had the means that we were able to spend three thousand dollars having a trench dug from the road, <laughs> right, to connect the fiber internet and have it wired and wired to my office out here and different things. So that cost us three grand. Most people don't have the access to $3,000, especially if you're in a rural, low-income area. So 
developing this infrastructure for people to have high speed internet does so many things. And one of the things that I think is so important is the access to self education and the access to entrepreneurship, right? If you have high speed internet, if you have good internet, you have access to so many more things, right? Whether that be Udemy courses or learning stuff on YouTube or opening an Etsy store, all kinds of shit. Now, is that everybody? Most people are going to be binging Netflix and doing whatever the fuck most Americans do, right? Just consume, consume, consume. But those outliers out there that want to work and want to create something and want to better their lives will have access to that without having the shitty limitations of terrible DSL internet that just doesn't really cooperate well with the modern infrastructure that we have built together, right? have built up, right? So when I look at this, I think one for kids being able to uh, do schoolwork and stuff like that, of course, great, doing college courses online, especially if you don't have access. Think about this as a low-income person. If you're doing, maybe you're doing some college courses in high school, which is much cheaper, and you have an online option for those, that's going to say, especially when gas is $5 a gallon, like you can do those online classes, get some credits going, and maybe you know get yourself set up where you don't have to spend as much money in college um, to get those basic credits. Like That's a big win. And again, like I said, just self-education. If you want to learn how to do all kinds of shit, I mean, most things I learned how to do are on YouTube, right? So that access to self-education is something I'm very, very passionate about, um, as well as right to repair and stuff like that. But when we look at this thing, I think what we have here is a a small example of what government can do that's benefits its people, right? Every now and then we get these, right? In between the $40 billion to Ukraine and spending money on all kinds of dumb shit and paying Lockheed Martin, you know, exorbitant amounts of money for basic things because corruption, like we have all of that. And then every now and then you're like, oh yeah, the government actually can do something, right? And they want, I feel like it's mostly PR. It's not actually based on any kind of principles, but I do love to see it. So I'm glad that we've got something here that looks like it's moving... It's going to do something for people that really need it the most. And I feel like we do need, and, and this is something that everybody from Jordan Peterson and Joe Rogan, these other people that you, that these, these people that get identified as conservatives, even though they're, that's, that's questionable at best. Equality of opportunity is huge. Now, there's never going to be true equality of opportunity, right? This is never going to happen. There's definitely never going to be a true equality of outcome. And I don't think that's something worth striving for. But increasing the amount of opportunity is disproportionately towards disadvantaged people is a really great thing. Increasing the number of opportunities and the access to opportunities for people that are disadvantaged will help this country. And I know that me saying that puts me on the left for some goddamn reason. I don't understand why conservatives don't really like to see that. And I know I'm going to get these comments, right? I know some of you do. I know some of you do, and I appreciate and respect that. But the fact that this is such a big, a big blind spot for the right does them a huge disservice. A huge disservice. So many of their ideas, right, their ill-formed ideas come from the Reagan era, right, and, and, and tend to put disadvantaged people at, 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 a, at a further disadvantage. And I don't understand why that's the case because most of the time when you have people that work themselves out of, of poverty or, or disadvantaged communities, those are people are, are so driven and they create and they innovate. And you love to see that. We love those stories. So why not provide the access those people need to create those fucking stories, man? Like why is that such a hard thing for us to, to, to come to terms with? You know? And, of course, a lot of that starts with basics like clean water, Flint, Michigan, Obama, right? 
But at the end of the day, really, where the world we're living in, high speed internet is is, is a necessity, and that's, that's that's what we're operating from. And I think that's absolutely true. In the same way that from the right, you can look at Twitter and say that's the town square now. Okay, Twitter's the town square, and high speed internet is is the normal, is the norm, right? Without access to that, you're at a disadvantage. And we get these things can be true. It's just it's the, it's the changing culture that we live in. So love to see this from Biden. I know I try to keep it as as balanced as I can, and when something good does come around, I gotta say it, right? Give credit where credit is due, even though it's a it's a it's just a uh, you know it's like finding a fucking needle in a haystack around here. Okay, let's talk baby formula. FDA is working around the clock to address formula sur- shortage. Saki says. Um, the White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said Monday that the U.S. Food and Drug Administration is working around the clock to address the baby formula shortage. As manufacturers say they're producing at full capacity and making as much as they can, it's still not enough to meet current demand. For months, stores nationwide have been struggling to stock enough baby formula. Manufacturers say they're producing at full capacity and making as much formula as they can, but it's still not enough to meet current demand. The out-of-stock rate for baby formula hovered around 2 to 8% for the first half of 21, but began rising sharply last July between November 2021 and April 2022. The out-of-stock rate jumped to 31%, and da, 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 the rate increased another 9 percentage points in just three weeks, and April now stands at 40%. The, st- the stats show. In six states, Iowa, South Dakota, North Dakota, Missouri, Texas, and Tennessee, more than half of baby formula was completely sold out during the week of April 24th, data assembly said. The shortage has been exacerbated by FDA's shutdown of Abbott Nutrition Facility in Sturgis, Michigan. Abbott is a major producer of baby formula. In February, the FDA recalled three brands of powdered baby, three brands of powdered baby formulas made by the company due to potential bacterial infections, including salmonella. The agency advised parents not buy or use certain batches of Simulac, Limitedu, and Illicare for infant baby formulas, all Abbott brands. So when we look at this, we have a bunch of problems here. One is just the general anti-competitive behavior of conglomerates buying up all these smaller brands, doing all the production, and then when something does go to shit like it did at Abbott, uh, well, you're fucked, right? Because there's very little competition, and you have most of these brands, just like all of our food brands, owned by a handful of companies. So when there is a problem, there's a big problem. On top of that, we have the FDA, which generally just does a shitty job at whatever the fuck it's supposed to do. Whenever the FDA is supposed to do something, you can you can promise or you can um you can assume that they're going to overpromise and underdeliver, right? So, when we look at this what we're having here is this massive crisis while just right over in Europe, they've got plenty. They've got a surplus of infant formula. So, when we look at this, so this is from the New York Times Wirecutter. It says, why U.S. parents are choosing European baby formulas. It says, there are more than 50 different baby formulas avail- available in the U.S., and parents can choose formulas made for uh, from conventional or organic milk or soy. Don't feed your baby soy, please. They can also opt to try lab- formulas labeled for fussy, gassy, or colicky babies, blah, 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 blah. Um, despite this, a growing number of parents are buying European formulas, even though it's technically illegal for them to import them into the U S it's technically illegal to import baby formula from Europe. 
Okay, There are large Facebook groups devoted to European formulas where parents share spreadsheets and detailed notes on ingredients of how these formulas compare to U.S. counterparts. Some caregivers report choosing them because European brands offer formula options like those made from goat's milk or from pasture-raised cows, which are rare or non-existent in an FDA-regulated form in the United States. From goat's milk and pasture-raised cows, the FDA finds that as a problem. I wonder why. I wonder how much influence, just like Big Pharma, that Big Ag has when it comes to baby formula, right? Because if you go over to Europe, most beef is is pasture-raised, a lot of goat milk, and goat milk is great. So you wouldn't want, actually, you wouldn't even really want the parents to have access to things like pasture-raised baby formula or goat's milk baby formula because... That would be competition, and the conglomerates who fund the FDA don't really want that competition. So it's technically illegal. Others seek out European brands because of the percentage that formulas are high, or the perception that formulas are higher quality, and that European formula regulations are stricter. They are, and a lot faster moving. Right. So what we have here is a problem created by corruption and the complete lack of antitrust enforcement in the United States. That's what we have. And we have the situation, right? So we got all this baby food or uh, formula over in Europe. They have stricter standards than we do when it comes to baby food, right? They have healthier baby food and uh, formulas over there. But it's technically illegal to import it. And all the Biden administration has to do, okay, this is pretty fucking simple, guys. All they have to do is tell the FDA to suck a bag of dicks fly a bunch of B-52 bombers over there that are climate-controlled, right? Because that's their justification that they can't really be sure of how they're going to control the climate of these um, transportation devices, ships or planes or whatever, so that it doesn't spoil and have uh, uh, bacterial infections. Use climate-controlled transportation. It's not that hard. Lots of things have to be climate-controlled as they're shipped, okay? But I'm sure the military, thanks to Lockheed Martin and Raytheon, who we just hand money to, has plenty of climate-controlled planes. So we could just buy a bunch of it from Europe, right? Load it up into our military aircraft and fly the ship back to the United States and distribute it. I don't think anybody would have a problem spending taxpayer money to feed hungry babies. But instead... We're now debating over spending $40 billion in Ukraine. Mothers can't feed their children. Now, of course, breast milk is generally the best option, but that's not available for everybody. Somebody doesn't produce milk, okay? Some babies don't want to latch. These babies' lives are important. It's a future generations. Having like nutritional inadequacies in infancy cause all kinds of downstream problems. And we can't even, our federal government can't even find a fuck to give about this. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. We spend more time arguing about abortion than we do about babies that are already born and alive. (laughs) That's where we're at. This is, (laughs) this is like, it's so split down the middle between the FDA's complete fuckery and corruption and regulatory capture and just the ineptitude of enforcing antitrust laws. Because if every every formula company wasn't gobbled up by some conglomerate 
then this wouldn't have been that big of a fucking deal if one or two factory places got shut down, production houses got shut down, right? Now, if a co-packer got shut down, that's a different deal. But that wasn't the case here. So we have no enforcement of antitrust. We keep approving Supreme Court justices that will not ever enforce antitrust, right? When it, when it, when, when cases do make it to the Supreme Court, right, which is more of an issue for all of us than Roe versus Wade. I'll tell you that right fucking now. So this is where we're at. I mean, I know I say that all the time, like, this is where we're at. It's a, this is, it is what it is. But at the end of the day, we can seek to understand why this is happening and the trends that have happened. They just, I mean, just think about the last three years as the FDA. There is no faith in the FDA as an institution, and it needs to be massively reformed. I don't understand why food and drugs are nested in the same organization in the first fucking place. Probably because our food manufacturing leads to the need for pharmaceutical drugs that we have now, right? Big ag feeds right in to big pharma. We'll just put the FDA right in the middle. One, two, three, the three-headed fucking dragon right there. It just makes too much goddamn sense. Now, I understand that most people don't understand this. I've been giving a fuck about the FDA since I was in college and I was writing speeches on, on why, why in Europe you can, the uh, biggest drink you can buy is like 20 ounces. And in America, you can supersize the fuck out of supersizes. A liter cola. Like that's where we're at, you know? So it's, <laughs> Europe has better regulations than we do and a better process for approving baby formula, but somehow it's not good enough for the FDA. And so we have to ask ourselves why. Why? Regulatory capture and corruption on top of the complete lack of enforcement of antitrust laws lead us to right where we are right now. So it's not, as, it's not exactly Joe Biden's fault, although there is a lot of easy things that the Biden administration could do to make this, happen, to make this better. But that's not how we got here. We got here over generations just whittling away competition and decades of regulatory capture and creep within the FDA. So don't just go ripping Biden a new one over this because it's not necessarily that dude or that administration's fault that we ended up here. You got to look at the big picture, but criticize Biden where it's actually valid and the fact that he hasn't done a goddamn thing to make this better. And there are simple things that he could do. So let's, let's, let's give credit where credit is due, especially when it comes to what fucked us over. Right? Spending all your time criticizing Biden for this isn't necessarily valid. There are definitely some very valid criticisms there. But let's zoom out and look at the bigger picture and really hold the organizations and the institutions accountable that led us here in the first place. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Elemental Labs. Guys, Element is what you need to keep yourself hydrated and feeling good. We are going into the summer right now, okay? So I'm going to make a little bit of a different pitch that you probably haven't heard since last summer. Element Cocktails. Okay, one of the biggest contributors to a hangover is dehydration. So back in spring break, back in the day, I used to mix um, some shitty electrolyte like blend with lemonade and vodka when I get really drunk and I'd always feel great the next day. It was like a, a, the airborne tabs, which are kind of shitty looking back now, but at the time 
thought they were good. Mix the airborne tabs with vodka lemonade. I would do that and it would help me maintain my ability to party for several days on end. Now, as I'm in my mid thirties, I don't really party for several days on end anymore. I don't go to spring break anymore because I'm not a creepy weirdo, but every now and then I like to, when the sun's out and I'm feeling good, I like to catch a little buzz outside. And one of the things that I found that one, because hangovers come way easier now than they did when I was in my twenties. Um, one of the things I found that helps me maintain uh, a better next day. If I want to have a few tequila drinks is mixing up an element margarita. We're in the summer now, guys, you're gonna be at the pool. You're gonna be having fun. I think it's one of the best beverages out there. The lemon habanero is great. You can mix the lemon habanero with a little bit of the citrus. Um, if you want to go that route or maybe the grapefruit, you could do a lot of different, um, formulations here. You can mix it with a little bit of vodka, a little bit of tequila. I like to make the element really strong when I mix it with, with any kind of alcohol. So not making it like I would make it just to drink an element to stay hydrated, but uh, making it a little bit stronger than hitting with a hit of that, uh, shot of that tequila, maybe two shots depending on how I'm feeling and if I'm out on the boat or doing whatever I'm doing. It really is a nice way to not have one, since there's no sugar in element, you're not going to have to deal with any of that kind of stuff, which also contributes to hangovers, but you're going to be getting hydrated while you're getting your buzz on and it tastes fucking delicious. So guys, I highly encourage you to try it. Check out, there's all kinds of recipes online if you look up that kind of stuff. But try it out. See what feels good for you. And if you generally just want to stay hydrated, if you're going to get outside doing more hiking, more working outside, if you're a blue-collar guy who's out there like putting in the work, putting up a fence, breaking down some flow line, working on a drilling rig, all the, the element is going to be great for you as well. It's amazing. It's an amazing supplement, guys. Salt, magnesium, the things that you need, the things you're missing out on, especially if you're eating low-carb, paleo, carnivore, something like that, or if you're just sweating a lot, it's fucking great, guys. You're drinking. You're going to drink more water. Your cells need water to survive and thrive. DrinkElement.com slash Wanders is where you're going to go to get your free variety pack. Now, you do have to cover shipping. It's 5 bucks. you got to cover the shipping to get it to your house, but you're going to get some of the most popular flavors in this variety pack, so you can try it out, and that way when you go pull the trigger on a big box, you know what you like. DrinkElement, D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com slash Wanders. The link is in the show notes. Make sure to check it out. Our show is also brought to you by... Our dear friends over at Cured Nutrition. Cured is a one-stop shop for all your cannabinoid needs, guys. They mix adaptogens with medicinal mushrooms, with THC and CBD, right? Very low amounts of THC, but you do need THC in your CBD supplements to get the full effects of the CBD. It's highly high, high quality sourcing, high quality formulation, small business, Colorado-owned, love the founders, incredible people. Just incredible, salt of the earth people. And they put together a really amazing line of CBD, adaptogen, and medicinal mushroom supplements. There's a whole bunch of stuff, guys. I've really been just addicted to their nightcaps mixed with their Zen. So if you get a bottle of Zen, a bottle of nightcaps, it's a great nighttime cocktail. But they also have formulations for all different needs throughout the day. And they have pet supplements and things like that. They've got the tinctures. They've got capsules. I prefer the capsules. I think they're a little, more, a little bit more bioavailable and a little bit less messy. That's kind of my speed. That's my recommendation. But feel free to try it all out, guys. The pet supplements are also great. The snacks are great, and their Euphoria beverages are awesome, guys. Get yourself a six-pack of that and try that out. The new crisp apple flavor is fantastic. What you can go to do is, what you can do to get yours is go to curednutrition.com. Use promo code HOMELESS uh, to get 10% off at checkout. The link for that is in the show notes. Make sure to use the link that's in the show notes of this show because then I'll, they'll know that you came from me to get yourself 
over there and check it out, guys. Promo code HOMELESS for 10% off. CuredNutrition.com. Support amazing local businesses, and they will support you. Now let's get back to the show. All right, Ukraine. Let's check this out here. The U.S. passes $40 billion bill to bolster Ukraine against Russian invasion. So let's see here. The U.S. House of Representatives approved more than $40 billion more in aid for Ukraine on Tuesday as Congress races to keep military aid flowing and boost the government in Kiev as it grapples with the Russian invasion. The House passed the Ukrainian bill 368 to 57 with every no vote coming from Republicans. Now, this um, a VOA is definitely like military industrial complex propaganda, but they did a good job, even though I think they were kind of bragging about it, of actually breaking down where this money's going. Okay? So let's just kind of uh, decrypt this and read between the lines a bit. The package includes $6 billion for security assistance, weapons manufacturers, uh, includes training, government contractors, <laughs> equipment, weapons manufacturers, weapons, weapons manufacturers, and support, general support, weapons manufacturers, $8.7 billion to replenish stocks of U.S. equipment sent to Ukraine, weapons manufacturers, and $3.9 billion for European command operations. In addition, the legislation authorizes a further $11 billion in presidential drawdown authority, which allows the president to authorize the transfer of articles and services from U.S. stocks without congressional approval in response to, a, in response to an emergency. Get this. Biden asked for $5 billion. So he asked for $5 billion in the presidential drawdown authority, which means he doesn't need congressional approval to send more, right? And they're like, nah, let's make it $11 billion. Let's double it and then add a billion on top of that. <laughs> the motherfucker asked for five billion and they gave him eleven. Like, can you imagine? Can you imagine? <laughs> you go into your boss and ask for a raise. Like, had like a three percent raise. Like, how about seven percent? You're like, uh, okay. <laughs> it also authorizes four billion in forward finance, uh, military financing to provide support for Ukraine and other countries affected by the crisis. The United States has rushed out more than three point five billion worth of armaments to Ukraine, weapons manufacturers, since Russia invaded, including howitzers, anti-aircraft stingers, anti-tank javelin missiles, ammunition, and recently disclosed ghost drones. Funds given to humanitarian aid. The new aid package also includes humanitarian assistance, $5 billion to address uh, food insecurity globally due to the, conf- to the, due to the conflict, and nearly $9 billion for, any, for an economic support fund for Ukraine. It provides hundreds of millions of dollars to help refugees and fund efforts to seize the assets of oligarchs linked to Russian President Vladimir Putin, whose government has called the invasion of Ukraine a special military operation. Okay. So the humanitarian aid I can like I can get behind, right? Yeah, people move, leaving, refugees. What's happening in Ukraine is clearly horrible, right? And, and Putin is the aggressor. So let's just we'll put that out there. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, this is not a vital interest to the American public. And that's really what it comes down to. Right? Like Ukraine is a very corrupt country. We 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 facilitated a coup, a coup there in 2014. And people will say, well, it's a liberal democracy. It's not a liberal democracy if there was a fucking coup in the last 10 years. Okay, that's not how that works out. Those two things are mutually exclusive. All right? There's violent government overthrows within the last decade. You you do not get to call a country a liberal fucking democracy. I am sorry. All right? I don't like any of this. I don't think anybody does. I'm not a Putin puppet or a Putin apologist. I think Putin is also a killer. Right, I think there's some other things that Putin has done that have been super, super sketch. Why don't you look into the uh, bombings, the domestic bombings 
that uh, got wiped away that led him to power anyways, right? Go, go search that out if you want to, like, really hate Putin, right? Sketchy fucking dude. But at the end of the day here, where does this money come from? Where does it go? How does it get there? What does it do for us? Because if we have the same, if we're going to use the same logic we use in Ukraine, well, then we got to do something for Palestine. We got to do something for Yemen. But when our allies are committing war crimes, right? I mean, shit, we can just talk, talk about the journalists that the Israelis like to try to blame it on Hamas, right? <laughs> but they're like, <laughs> but then that that's clearly not true, right? Like this is this is it's fucking insane, right? So Israel can kill press and kids and shoot them in the face. I was watching uh, not too long ago. I watched Israeli snipers shooting like nine or ten year old boys in the face and laughing about it. Um, those kids were throwing rocks from three hundred yards away, but I guess that justifies them getting shot in the fucking head, right? So that's 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 happening, right? So um, there's that going on. So if we're gonna take that logic, we just need to be the world's police and set up a world police force and 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 defend Palestine and and um, and Yemen as well, but. That doesn't really work, does it? Doesn't really work. Doesn't really work because those countries buy our weapons and we buy their oil and it's a whole thing. Saudis and Israel, you know. It is what it is. We have a country full of Zionists, whatever. So there is one politician, though, standing in the way here, one senator, and his name is Rand Paul. Ukraine, U.S. politicians rip Rand Paul over $40 billion aid bill holdup. Now, what I see this as here, and he's been dragged. Let's just read through some of this. Top Ukrainian government officials <laughs> blast Senator Rand Paul on Friday after he objected to a bill that would send $40 billion in additional military and humanitarian aid to, Eastern, to the Eastern European country. The Kentucky Republican denied leaders of both parties the unanimous consent needed for the Senate to quickly debate the vote on the package which had already been passed by the House Tuesday evening. So Rand Paul's in the way here, and let's hear, see what he has to say. Senator from Kentucky. Reserving the right to object, my oath of office is to the U.S. Constitution, not to any foreign nation. And no matter how sympathetic the cause, my oath of office is to the national security of the United States of America. We cannot save Ukraine by dooming the U.S. economy. In March, inflation hit a 40-year high. Gasoline alone is up 48%, and energy prices are up 32% over the last year. Food prices have increased by nearly 9%. Used vehicle prices are up 35% for the year, and new vehicle prices have increased 12% or more. Yes, inflation doesn't just come out of nowhere. It comes from deficit spending. The United States spent nearly $5 trillion on COVID-19 bailouts, leading to one of the highest and most sustained levels of inflation in U.S. history. Americans are feeling the pain, and Congress seems intent only on adding to that pain by shoveling more money out the door as fast as they can. So while I do, while I disagree with um, his reductionist view of what causes inflation, there's a lot more causes than what he had to say there. I do appreciate what he's having to say as far as what does this do for us? Now, if we were flush with cash and all Americans had clean water and access to, excuse me, guys, what the fuck? <laughs> access to clean water and food and baby formula. And we, then we could talk about how many tens of millions and tens of billions of dollars we want to send to Ukraine, but we're not there. So we're in no position to really help that much without harming ourselves. It is a zero-sum game at this point. We help them at, our, at a cost to ourselves. Now, I'm not a nationalist. I don't consider myself like a patriot. I mean, whatever. 
I'm relatively patriotic. I think America is a great place. I think it could be a lot better, and, I, and I'm critical of it for that reason. But when we look at this here, why? We don't even know where that money's going. We don't know how, how where, where the weapons are going. There's extremist elements within Ukraine. Right? We don't know how much of that stuff's going to end up in Russia whenever it gets taken over the same way that Afghanistan did. We spent 20 years in Afghanistan to take to, 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 to overthrow the Taliban and replace them with the fucking Taliban. Like, what is this? How do we expect this to be any different? We don't have a leg to stand on. We do not have a leg to stand on when it comes to foreign intervention and the decision-making process that goes into that. And if you think the, the, these intelligence institutions are telling you the truth, you're sorely mistaken. You're being propagandized. Everybody likes to think they're anti-war until they get hit with war propaganda. Right? Just like Mike Tyson says, everybody has thinks they have a plan until they get punched in the fucking face. And that's where we're at. Now, I would like to take this time to criticize Trump for starting this fucking bullshit by sending weapons to Ukraine in the first place, which was a clear antagonization of Russia. Do I think Putin is a good person? I don't need to justify his actions to understand them. Okay, actions don't need to be justified to be understood and explained. We've been over this numerous times. But why in the fuck do we spend $40 billion on top of whatever billions we've already spent? And the funny thing is, in this war that's lasted about, what, 10 or 11 weeks now, we've spent more money in Ukraine than Russia's entire military budget annually. Or at least close. So I think it's... I think their entire military budget, I should have had this data up here, but I think it's around $46 billion. And right now we're closing in on $46 billion spent in Ukraine in 10 weeks. So in just over two months, so let's say, let's call it three months. So a quarter. <laughs> we're just going to keep doing that? How long is it going to take us to get to a trillion? A year and a half? Because the military industrial complex doesn't want this war to be over. What, you, what Ukraine has also asked for dif- diplomatic aid. But NATO doesn't want that. They don't want an off-ramp for Putin. They don't want some kind of compromise here. They don't want to end the death. They want to fight Russia to the last Ukrainian to save Ukraine. That doesn't make any sense. Now, while they beg for di- diplomatic effort, we send them more weapons. That's not what they want. That's not what they need. By fueling this thing with weapons, you are killing more Ukrainians. Indirectly, of course, you can deflect responsibility, but more Ukrainians are dying. So if you really want less death and destruction in Ukraine, you got to be honest about what Ukraine is and how Ukraine has functioned, how, the, how Eastern Ukraine does not really want to be a part of Ukraine, how they, how they rejected the coup that happened in 2014. You have to embrace the fact that there's Nazi elements within Ukraine. You can embrace the fact that Putin is a fucking war criminal, okay, and a bully. You can embrace the fact that the American government is run by the military-industrial complex. These are all these things can be true at the same time. It's not that big of a logical jump, right? Embrace the fact that there are multiple facts that are true at the same time, that are inconvenient to one another. And when you cherry pick them to fit your narrative, you're doing everyone a disservice, especially the Ukrainian people. So reach some kind of diplomatic resolution here. But that's not what they want, guys. What they want is to drain Russia as much as they can, and they want regime regime change. It It is the lifeblood of the CIA and the American military establishment. Regime change. They love it. They get off on it. They get rock hard and veiny for fucking regime change. 
And if you think this is any different, you're fucking delusional. Okay? I don't like to be on the same side of issues as Marjorie Taylor Greene, and I think the way she's going about it is absolutely retarded. But what I can say here is that I have zero trust in these intelligence institutions. I don't trust Vladimir Putin. I don't trust Zelensky. I don't trust Ukraine. I don't trust CIA. I don't trust the federal government, what they're telling me. I don't trust Fox, CNN, ABC, NBC, down the line. What I have to look at here is trends in our history, how things have gone, and how things are going, and say what is the most likely, uh, what is the most likely outcome here, and what are the most likely reasons for us to be in this situation. And what it looks like to me is gigantic giveaways to the military-industrial complex, a proxy war, and regime change at the cost of Ukrainian lives in the same way that we handled so many other conflicts around the world. You can't tell me this one's different because it's not. There are some novel aspects to it, but at the end of the day, there's a fucking through line, and it's really clear. And, and the fact that these, these, the military-industrial complex and the federal government that is bought and paid for by these clowns have got a substantial part of America cheering for this with zero criticism and zero debate and zero dissenting voices on, on our mainstream outlets that are also bought and paid for by these institutions. It's just par for the course now, guys. It really is, and it's, it's, it's sad to see. And I'm sure people are going to disagree with me out there on this, but I, I'm, I try to find holes in it, and it just, it just seems like this makes the most sense. The way that I'm articulating it seems to make the most sense to me. Of course, I could be wrong, but goddamn, there are a lot of things in this thing that, that there's a lot of inconvenient facts that are presenting itself in this whole situation, and I'm disgusted by it. Okay, let's talk about crack pipes real quick. Report of crack pipes appearing in smoking kits reignites controversy on whether they're receiving federal funding. The Washington Free Beacon reported in February that the Biden administration would fund the distribution of crack pipes through its $30 million Health and Human Services grant program that reimburses local governments and entities that provide safe smoking kits in the name of advancing racial equality and safer drug use for addicts. The grant specifically denotes smoking kits and supplies as among equipment to enhance harm reduction efforts. Other components of the program include syringes, vaccinations, disease screenings, condoms, and fentanyl strips, according to the Beacon. Okay, so we have a moral outrage here. Again, from the right, over fucking crack pipes. Here's the thing. Having a clean crack pipe is not your barrier to entry into smoking crack or fentanyl or meth or freebasing anything else, okay? Those pipes are incredibly cheap, especially if you buy them in bulk. We're talking 10 or 15 cents a piece, all right? Now, the way that this government grant program worked, it was a reimbursement program, so local local NGOs would use this grant funding, right, to do what they felt was best for their communities, now, I don't like the way that the homelessness crisis has been handled by any stretch of the imagination. I love the way that Schellenberger atta- uh, attacks the thing and, and his plan of action. I think it's really great. He's running for governor of California, and I do. I guess I can just take this time to endorse him and his message. I really like what he's about. So, with that being said, this outrage over crack pipes is nothing but pure clickbait. Pure clickbait. That's all it is. There's no reason to be that upset about this. We're talking about a $30 million grant program, 
And the majority of that spending isn't on crack pipes. Look at the other things they have here. Syringes, vaccinations, disease screenings, condoms, and fentanyl strips. Okay, so we got $30 million invested into this program, right? Which is mostly going to go to homeless people. I don't understand the racial equality language as much because there's a lot of white people, a lot of black people, a lot of Hispanic people, Asian people that are all out on the streets. And it's sad, okay? A lot of people in there for different reasons. If it's mental health, I have some compassion for you. If it's you had just a bad, a good run of bad luck and you ended up out there, I feel fucking compassion for you. And I want some, I want people to be able to have some kind of access to resources to get themselves clean. If you became an addict, burned every bridge in your life, right? Stayed with friends and family when you were a fucking junkie, stole from them, got kicked out, ended up on the streets and went somewhere where you could live on the streets easier because you wanted to do drugs. I don't really give a fuck. I don't have that much compassion for that section of the homeless population. Okay? Just to set my biases up for everybody to see. That's where I'm at. I have a lot of compassion for people that are on the streets and want better for themselves, but I don't really have a lot of compassion for the open-air drug scenes and the violence and the rape and God knows what the fuck else is going on. Okay? Especially for people who just chose to be out there doing the thing especially in places like LA where they give you three square meals and all the access you could use to need to for drugs and don't police anybody. Right. I don't have a lot of compassion for that anymore. I'm fucking over it. I used to have a different perspective when the homelessness crisis wasn't what it is, but this is where I'm at now. But I have zero issue with clean needles and crack pipes and condoms and fentanyl strips being distributed. Right now, I wish there was some kind of carrot and stick program to get people into housings and get them into a job program and to provide them some stability, which from that stability, they could probably get themselves back into a place where they feel a little better about themselves and have someone to care about them and, and have the resources. I would love to see that. Right. But you've got to have the carrot and the stick. You can't just, just give and give and give and expect things to get better. It's not going to work that way. I wish that that was how human nature worked out. It's not. But I'm not going to fucking clutch my pearls over a few million dollars spent on crack pipes so that people don't get infections and condoms and fentanyl strips. So that way you actually end up saving money because you don't have EMTs having to treat infections, right? Treat accidental overdoses, right? So if people want fentanyl and that's what they're going for because they want to get that high and they want to mix meth and fentanyl, which is a pretty common thing. You want to mix your uppers and your downers. So you get as much of, you get, you get the euphoria of a downer, like an opioid with the, and you can still stay awake and stay up. So you mix, a lot of people mix fentanyl or heroin and meth. These are really common things, mixing the up and uppers and downers. And a lot of people have done that, right? That's not an uncommon thing to do. I mean, if you want to think about back in your college days, think about mixing Adderall and booze or Adderall and weed. Right back when we, you know, I hope you don't do that now as an adult. But back in college, you'd be pulling all nighter with that some Adderall, and then you, after your finals, you go to a party and start day drinking. It was fun, right? Is that the same thing as meth and heroin? Not really, but kind of, right? So you can understand like the draw to that up or downer mix. But at the end of the day, I think saving police time and EMT time by not having to treat needless infections, needless overdoses. Um, getting people vaccinated for whatever, the, whether it's hepatitis vaccinations or whatever it is. I think all that stuff is a worthwhile investment while we then implement new policies to help get people off the streets. But you can't do one without the other, right? It's kind of like the student loan situation. You can't just forgive all the student loan without fixing the problem in the first place. So these things need to work in tandem, right? I'm all for safe, safe injection sites, clean needle exchanges, clean pipes, condoms, fentanyl strips, disease testing, 
just to minimize the burden on the on our first responders. If it does nothing else, that's worth our investment. That being said, we do have to pair it with something that, like I said, that 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 addresses the issue and tries to act, actually solve the problem, which we haven't done a great job of so far. So while I see this clickbait and I say, hey, I want to talk about this because I want to point out just the the bad faith nature of this and how this is just some kind of like right wing outrage over fucking nothing. When a lot of these a lot of these Republicans that are complaining about this just voted to spend forty billion dollars in Ukraine, right? And just a massive giveaway. Over half of that is going straight to the military industrial complex, right? I'm actually more concerned about that. But you want me to focus on this because you don't want me to notice that. Right? Ted Cruz. Right? Is that where we're at? So Let's keep that in mind and, and keep how, I mean, $30 million sounds like a lot of money. It's not. It's not. Especially when, it, when you're talking about saving the times and potentially the lives in some cases and keeping, people, keeping first responders out of dangerous situations and have them focus on things they need to, be, need to be focused on, not wasting their time with things that are avoidable easily with a measly $30 million investment. That's where I'm at with this thing. I, I think this is a really just a bad faith attack from the right here. And uh, I got to point that out when I see it. Okay, so I paid my $30. I should have just gone to BitChute and got it for free, but I paid my $30 because I wanted to be able to use this for you guys. This is 2,000 mules. This is the election fraud documentary everybody's talking about or everybody on the right is talking about. And there's been some really like silly debunking videos that don't really do a great job. And they're, they're, so, so, they're so hyper-biased on the other side that it's kind of like both of them are a wash. Now, when I watched this the first time through, I was like, okay, relatively compelling. And then I thought about it for, I mean, as you're in it, you know, I'm kind of watching and I'm kind of taking it all in. As I looked back on it, I was like, yeah, this is not that compelling at all. This 2000 mules thing is not that compelling at all, but I get, it's very, it's intellectually dishonest, but in a very manipulative, manipulative way that is effective, very effective. And I'm seeing a lot. And I know guys, I know you're going to give me a hard time about this, but I'm seeing a lot of like remnants of like QAnon release the Kraken type stuff going on right here. So I want to play a few different segments of this and I want to point out some of the things, the problems that I saw with it. Um, and again, I'm all for like more investigation of, of what happened here. Like that's, I'm fine with that. I think that that's, that's probably generally a beneficial thing. And like, let's, let's cause after 2016, right. With the way that Hillary Clinton behaved, she set the framework for questioning the legitimacy of our elections, right? You got to keep that in mind. The only person who ever handled this reasonably well was Al Gore, right? Because there was, there was valid concerns about what happened in Florida, especially because his opposition's brother was the governor of Florida at the time. There's a lot of weird things that were going on with that, but the dude bowed out. Of course, he is kind of a pussy, so that makes sense, but he kind of bowed out and was like, this is the best thing for the country for me to just not rile this thing up and go down this road because I don't want to undermine elections. Now, I'm not a huge Al Gore fan, but I think that was probably the right move. But what we've seen since then is it's just this petty and selfish uh, undermining of our election security, right? From Hillary Clinton first, and then even more so by Donald Trump, which ended in a much more, um, I mean, I guess it makes sense. It's kind of on brand with his audience to have, you know, riot at the Capitol, whereas Hillary Clinton was just saying this stuff on TV and you're kind of um, uh, white collar coastal elites were just kind of like placating it, but no one really bought it, right? It was Russia at the time that it was, you know, Venezuela and election machines and blah, 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 blah. So, and all these NGOs they talk about. But we're going to go through a few different things. The methodology, what they're calling a pattern of life. We're going to play a few uh, of the videos of the election drop boxes. And then we're going to get into what they're claiming with their, um, with their math. Because we're going to get a little mathy in here. So let's check this out. Just their, this is kind of their uh, methodology they used. 
might be some, let's just call them bad actors, who are delivering ballots systematically and, and, and illicitly to these mail-in drop boxes, and there might be a way to track them and to bust them. We didn't know. We decided we were going to let the data tell the tale, and we collected together a team of highly skilled contractors and put together a plan to see where the data would take us. What, Greg, is geo-tracking? So the idea is to collect the signals that are emitted from your phone. Your cell phone is delivering information to apps that are collecting that ping, so there are four key coordinates, the lat long, the elevation, and the time. And with that data, we can then build a pattern of life around you. So that phone's here right now. Well, where's it going to be at 5 o'clock, and where's it going to be tonight? Well, here's my cell phone. My, my cell phone is off. Can, you, can I be geo-tracked even with the cell phone being off? Possibly. Depending on the apps. Depending on the, the apps. Depending That's on what the marketing app. companies do all day, every day. Now, this, this is the point. We were just at we were at the CBS. Apple store and at CBS, and, and on both occasions, they knew right. where you they were knew. evidently. Absolutely. And they were- she was probably on their Wi-Fi. That's probably why they knew. She was probably connected to the Apple store's Wi-Fi, which you will connect to automatically when you walk in there. And I'm assuming they have a similar system at CVS. We're telling you about specials, yeah, and yeah. The, they were so people right. have experience of this. There's 300,000 or so apps that that gather that data, and then they sell it to brokers. Isn't it also true that this geo tracking has now become a vital tool for the military, for the intelligence agencies, and for law enforcement? Indeed, they're using it almost every day. I'll say that there's no question amongst anyone that I know in the community that many, if not all, of the people that were involved in the situation at the Capitol on January 6th were being tracked previous to January 6th because they already knew what their pattern of life was. They already knew who to look at. Many of the people who stormed the U.S. Capitol on January 6th left digital footprints that law enforcement has used in making arrests. You're saying they must have known about these people before because some of those guys were arrested one day, three days, five days after January 6th, and that's not enough time to do the geo-tracking analysis. The very- they posted themselves on social fucking media, dude. They used people's social media where they posted themselves inside the Capitol to arrest people. And the rest of the arrests that actually did use any kind of geo-tracking stuff took weeks. Weeks. But when you post yourself on Snapchat, Instagram, any kind of other social media platform inside the Capitol at a riot, you're kind of asking to get arrested, aren't you? It wouldn't take that long to figure out who the fuck you were when you're in somebody's Instagram story or you post your own at the Capitol. So, yeah, there's a hole in that, bud. The very idea that you could go from the afternoon of January 6th to acquiring the data, tracking the data, unmask who actually owns that phone, which the government is required to do, and then get it to a grand jury, make an arrest in 72 hours. Impossible. It's it's not it's not possible. They had. Do you to. see that there, guys? Do you see that they don't provide like? Let me let me just see. What are some other ways? What are some other ways? I just thought of one right now. Right? It's like, well, yeah, they posted this shit on social media. It was all over the place. You could see it everywhere. Like that video of Ashley Babbitt was shared all over the place. How many faces could you see in that video? It's not that hard. It's not that hard to find another reason that that would happen. Now, is that the only reason? Is it possible they were tracking these people beforehand? Of course. But that's not the most logical explanation by any stretch of the imagination. They've been tracking the people in advance. But the fact of the matter is these techniques are used every single day by law enforcement, the intelligence community, the Department of Defense. Was 
geo-tracking part of the way that the CIA was able to identify bin Laden. It certainly played a role. It's even more sophisticated today than it was when bin Laden was disposed of. More and more apps are participating in this, this program, if you will. The reliability of geo-tracking is not substantially different from the reliability of a fingerprint or the reliability of DNA. If it identifies your phone, now I could have given my phone to Debbie, but the simple truth of it is my phone was there on this particular date, and there's absolutely no question about that, That's right? Correct. Now you so, yes, it is reliable as far as that being your phone, but as far as the accuracy of where you are on the, via this uh, geo-tracking data, it's, rely, it's relying upon pings and triangulation, so it's not all that accurate. And the reason I know that, oddly enough, is because of a true, a true crime podcast. Uh, Neil Strauss is a uh, to live and die in LA season one. You'll listen to that. They talk about, they, they tracked a guy who had actually killed this woman. Spoiler alert. And, um, the geo tracking showed generally where he was, but the way they were actually able to track, and this is really crazy. They were actually able to track exactly where he was via the Google app on his phone. So he had Google or Google maps on his phone. I believe, even though that that wasn't, I think his phone was turned off. They were still able to use that tracking was extremely accurate to where the, he had killed this girl with a shovel and you could see, he had walked back and forth from this truck to where he was um, burying this woman on this tr- you know true crime podcast. But you could see that via the Google app, but they couldn't get that precise of data with the pings of the of the geo tracking. So that showed the difference, right? Now, if you have access to Google's data, which these people don't, you could say, yeah, I'm exactly right there because that has precise GPS. But geo tracking does not have that kind of accuracy from my understanding. Now, I'm not a geo tracking expert, but I'm just telling you the difference between something like Google tracking versus general pings and geo tracking highly unreliable decided to purchase through these brokers that make this information available to companies they make it available all all kinds of places to buy data Uh, let's talk about the methodology you identify data in certain places and by and large you focus on the states where the election was decided tell us what are the areas that you bought data for and what were you looking for and what's the time period october 1st through the election in georgia we actually bought from october 1st through january 6th after the runoff So we went in, we decided to do the Atlanta metro area because it picks up some rural areas, it picks up some urban areas, it picks up some suburban areas, 309 drop boxes in in the area. And we thought, okay, well, this is a pretty good test. We, in essence, sort of fenced around those. Geofencing. Geofencing. And then we were able to make purchase of data of people that had been near those drop boxes, but also near the organizations. Across the country, we bought 10 trillion signals. When they give you this data, this data that you then have to go through, what does this data look like? Well, it's a massive data transfer. We have more than a petabyte of data. You're talking about transacting hundreds of terabytes, so it's a significant move of data. You have 10 trillion signals. That's, that's a lot of signals. So what was the criterion that you set? Final decision was they had to have been to 10 or more drop boxes, meaning unique visits inside of a space, and five or more visits to one, of the, one or more of these organizations. Those were the outliers. It was such an aberrant pattern. So what you're saying, I mean, it seems to me there's no reason for someone to go to even two drop boxes, but you're saying that maybe there's a conceivable reason someone did that. Let's identify a large number of drop boxes and multiple trips, and that way we're going to catch... Not all the offenders, right? But the worst offenders. The way we would describe it is we want to absolutely ensure that we don't have false positives, meaning including people that should not have been included. We're not in any way saying that this is all there is. We're just saying that based on our criteria that we identified in Atlanta, 242 people that went to an average of 24 drop boxes in eight organizations during a two-week period. 242 
mules. Now let's pause for a second. Okay, so you guys get the idea of the methodology there. You had to go to 10 drop boxes, and it has to be aberrant behavior. Now, we're going to poke some holes in that, but let's let's just continue moving here. Now we're going to talk about the pattern of life. So this is where they get it. This is right after this. We just skipped a little bit. Um, talking about the pattern of life changes and showing an ex- one single example here and kind of basing the whole thing off of that. Let's get into this. It is going not past a Dropbox and on, but directly to a Dropbox and back to another point and then to another Dropbox. All of these things. I mean, isn't the timing significant? If some guy's going to a Dropbox at 2 a.m. in the morning, presumably he's not like out for a walk. Right. Going to a Dropbox at 2 a.m. is not a crime. It doesn't suggest anything. Maybe that you are a shift worker or that you work late nights or you're a bartender. All of these things could correlate with you going to a Dropbox at 2 o'clock in the morning. Again, not a crime. So we're going to show you a visual pattern of life that someone can see and look at rather than just a whole spreadsheet of numbers being able to look at it in this manner. What you see here on the screen is a single person on a single day in Atlanta, Georgia. They went to 28 Dropboxes in five organizations in one day. What are the orange dots? Those are drop boxes. And what is the blue tracks? That is a smoothed out pattern of life so that we could take the sort of the movement of the individual cell phone signals, marry them together into something that's visual so that you can see movement on the individual. To get to some of these drop boxes, you had to be intentional. You had to get off the highway, you had to go on surface streets, you had to turn in somewhere in order to get to those drop boxes. And the circles, I take it, reflect the nonprofit centers. Are that the places where the ballots originate? The stash houses, where the ballots are collected and handed to the mules to take to the drop box. Now let's move over to Arizona. How many mules in Arizona? Okay, so, so we've got this pattern of life track here. They're using this a lot. This is the one example they show of someone's pattern of life. Right, so it's a blue track going through all these roads. You see these NGOs, these uh, nonprofit organizations that they passed. Uh, they see all the drop boxes. Now, what they need to do to make this bulletproof is also consider how many people are Uber drivers, DoorDash drivers, Uber Eats, um, HelloFresh, uh, Amazon delivery drivers. That could be the same thing. How many NGOs do you think are near Amazon warehouses? Right. Wouldn't that make sense? Like it's, there's so many other ways to look at this, right? But they look at it through one singular lens, one singular lens. And they think, okay, well, this person drove by a bunch of drop boxes, which are in highly populated areas, by the way. And they don't consider the fact that it's, this is, it could be a regular patterning of a fucking Uber driver, right? Or a DoorDash driver or an Amazon delivery driver. That could be all of these things. All of those things should be considered. Now, they can't unmask all these people. The, the law enforcement's the only people that can do that. But you've got to consider that that's a, value, a, a reasonable explanation. Now, let's continue here. We're going to move on to a couple of Dropbox videos. So here's one right here. Let me get the volume up. A requesting video, and I believe it was the state of Georgia saying this video does not exist, and we can't tell you why it doesn't exist. Right. That was in, in Fulton County. We have correspondence like that from a lot of states. In the absence of video, and that geospatial data is key to decoding you know, what the greater scheme was. But in the case of uh, what we're going to show you now, what kicks it up a notch is that we have the geospatial data to support the video. Let's talk about some of the videos. So we're going to show you a couple different ones. This particular individual we have um, in a number of different locations at a number of different times. He's actually a mule. This is the official surveillance video of Georgia. Absolutely. And so as the person pulls up, they don't even bother parking. Of course, in the middle of the night, so why would they? He gets out, approaches the box. 
When people walk up with intention to cheat, they look around, they basically walk fairly quickly, they try to stuff them in, they try to get out of there. In this case, he drops a few on the ground, pick them up, stuff them in the box. So they, use, they make so many assumptions like, if you're, you're going to cheat, you would look around. This guy looks around one time. He's in a parking lot at 2 o'clock in the morning. When I get out of a parking lot at 2 o'clock in the morning, which I've done sometimes, it doesn't matter where I am. I can be in the middle of fucking nowhere. I'm always looking around. Because being in the middle of a parking lot when no one else is around at 2 o'clock in the morning, you should look around. It's kind of a sketchy place to be. You don't know who's around. You know what's going on. You know what I mean? Why is that odd? I think that wasn't even that many ballots. It looks like four or five, right? And they use conflicting evidence, which we'll get into, but it, it really is quite funny. Let's continue here. Hustles back and hustles out of there. So this is what it looks like. It doesn't necessarily look like, you know, hundreds of ballots being yeah. stuffed in. You don't you know? need a whole lot of fraud. You just need a little in the right places over time. Is there a way to estimate or even roughly how many ballots are being tossed into a box at a given time? It might okay, we'll go on to another video here. What you're going to see is he approaches the drop box on his bike. He also has a backpack on. Pulled the ballots out of his backpack. Taking his time. Taking his time, digging around, looking for some ballots. Finally he wasn't digging out, around, he grabbed them right out of the okay, pocket. Now I'm set. And he'll put them in. But you also see him get sort of frustrated as he starts to leave because guess what? At this point, they had started requiring the mules, apparently, to take pictures of the stuffing of the ballots. At this point, they did that. They didn't have that, that uh, brilliant idea beforehand. Now, But at this point, they start requiring them to take pictures so that there's more evidence of their election fraud that they can just have on their phones, right? Since there's 2,000-plus of these people, they're gonna, they want them to have evidence of election fraud on their phones, and that's how they get paid. It couldn't possibly be that this person's going to post an Instagram story about voting. <laughs> like that's that's course that's much too simple this is a complex nefarious situation here it appears that that's how they get paid <laughs> so they take a picture and stuff it in they take a picture not a selfie but a picture of the the actual ballot going in but this guy gets frustrated so he actually has to park his bike get off so if you were there just casting your own ballot what reason in the world would you have to come back and take a picture of the box what reason would you have to come back and take a picture of the place where you voted? So many reasons. So many. Looking around. He could be like, hey, mom, I, I dropped your ballot off for you and it's in a thing with like a thumbs up. Who knows? Who fucking knows? And who are you to say? Because here's the thing. That's the last video we're going to play here. They never show more than one person. They don't show this same person going to another Dropbox. They don't show the last person they show going to another Dropbox. They use the idea that somebody used gloves to not, make, not, not, um, not get their fingerprints caught, right? Somebody got caught with election fraud via fingerprints somewhere else at some other time. So they use this person's, uh, this, this idea that this person used gloves and then threw them away immediately without looking at the trash can before. So they obviously knew the trash can was there, even though they had the video footage, but they only show the video footage of the person going once. They don't show her going to the same Dropbox several times. They don't show any person on video going to any Dropbox more than one time. And they expect you to believe this guys. You have to think better. If you're buying into this bullshit, you have to think better. Okay, that's all I can tell you. 
Now, am I going to say there's no election fraud? This deserves no investigation. Yeah, of course it deserves some investigation, as any kind of uh, bold accusation like this does deserve. But that being said, this is not compelling shit. Okay? This is not compelling whatsoever. All right? If somebody's doing DoorDash until 2 in the morning to make some extra money, or Ubering and getting the surge rates on a weekend until 2 in the morning, right? You get those better rates if you're a driver dealing with drunk people, and you deserve to get more money for that. That's not considered. That's not considered as a possible option why somebody be driving around. There are so many holes in this. So many holes in this. And this is coming from someone from the jump when their election fraud claims were, were put out there. I was like, that'd be interesting. Sure. Why not? Like, let me see some proof. Not a goddamn bit. And they spent a couple years putting this thing together. And this is still, it's nothing. It's fucking nothing. And they even admit this when they have Charlie Kirk and Dennis Prager and all these other people being like, you know, we need evidence. And they see this and they convinced, oh my God, you convinced uh, Larry Elder and Charlie Kirk and Dennis Prager that the fucking election was stolen. Wow. I'm astonished. That's unbelievable. Give me a fucking break, dude. Come on. Now let's get into their math here and what they're saying could have happened here. Most important question of all, was the magnitude of vote trafficking in these key swing states enough to tip the balance in the 2020 presidential election? Let's first narrow in on just our 2,000 mules. Their average number of Dropbox visits, 38. Their average number of illegal ballots deposited per visit, 5. That's 380,000 illegal votes. But was this sufficient to put Biden in the White House? To answer that question, we must look at each key state. In Michigan, 500 mules, averaging 50 drop box visits and five illegal ballots per drop. That's 125,000 illegally trafficked votes, not quite the 154,000 vote difference between Trump and Biden. So Michigan, with its 16 electoral votes, stays in the Biden column. In Wisconsin, 100 mules, averaging 28 drop box visits and five illegal ballots per drop. That's 14,000 illegally trafficked votes. 6,000 votes short to give Trump the win. So using only our mules, Wisconsin's 10 electoral votes stays in the Biden camp. But now we come to Georgia. 250 mules, averaging 24 drop box visits and five illegal ballots per drop. That's 30,000 illegally trafficked votes, far more than the 12,000 vote difference between Trump and Biden. So Georgia with 16 electoral votes, moves over into the Trump column. In Arizona, the numbers are roughly the same. 200 mules, averaging 20 Dropbox visits and five illegal ballots per drop. That's 20,000 illegal votes. Again, these illegal votes are substantially more than the 10,000 vote margin that gave the state's 11 electoral votes to Biden. In Philadelphia, Pennsylvania alone, 1,100 mules. Averaging 50 drop box visits and five ballots per visit, that's 275,000 illegal votes, again comfortably exceeding the 80,000 vote margin between Trump and Biden. So Pennsylvania's 20 electoral votes goes for Trump. 
Shockingly, even this narrow way of looking at just our 2,000 mules in these swing states <laughs> gives Trump the win. With okay, so... 279 electoral votes to Biden's 259. Yeah, your extremely narrow way of viewing this did end in these results for you, which you would... First off, the person that you think won pardoned you, Dinesh. So let's... And Dinesh isn't a stupid guy. Right, but you can't. A lot of the best grifters are pretty fucking smart, right? They're pretty savvy, and that's exactly what this is, guys. If you can't understand how Trump could have lost the election in twenty twenty, you are delusional. Okay, there are so many people like me, and not to mention that they, they mentioned this earlier on in this in this fake documentary here is that the, how many people, how many, how well Republicans did uh, in the House and Senate, respectively, compared to how Trump did. Right, which means it was a bunch of split ticket voting, which I like. I like when people split ticket vote. That means that you vote based on what you feel is right for the country at that time, and your local elections are all. It's all this stuff's important. So you had an astonishing number of split ticket voting here. You also had they make the claim that he imp- improved in the in the black and Hispanic uh, communities more than any Republican president in however long. Right? Yeah, but he lost a fuck ton of white voters, like so many white voters. We're so tired of Trump. And the way that he was handling COVID was a joke. The way that he was handling himself during all of that was a joke. Now, was he treated unfairly by the media? Of course, in the same way that Fox News treated Obama unfairly. Right? They set the stage for that. They just copied the Fox News playbook. What the mainstream liberal media did with Trump was was copied Fox News' playbook when it came to Obama. Okay, I remember that I was there. Glenn Beck radicalized my grandmother. I could not have a conversation with my grandmother that wasn't about fucking Barack Obama's birth certificate. Like that's where we got. Okay, that's how I got to spend the last few years with my grandmother. You know, because of Glenn Beck's crazy ass. So I see. I saw it from both sides. I was like, man, Fox News is really like doing Obama dirty here. And then you know, fast forward a little bit, I'm like, wow. MSNBC is really doing Donald Trump dirty here, and it's the same shit, guys. But if you can't wrap your mind around how Donald Trump could lose to a corpse, you're disconnected from the majority of the fucking country, man. And now Biden's presidency, which I voted for the guy partly because I wanted to see the Democratic Party crumble, and that's what I'm watching right now. So I'm kind of happy in my with my vote in that way. I didn't expect to go into fucking World War III, but here we are, right? Much of that thanks to Trump. And the most of the onus is on Biden, but at the same time, like those weapons going to Ukraine was because of Trump, which also pissed me the fuck off. It also pissed me the fuck off that Trump couldn't bring up the criminal justice reform that he had done because he had to tweet law and order 46 times a day. Right? So he couldn't even stand up for what he had done in office because he's a fucking pussy. All right. So that's where we're at with that. So if you can't see the way that all worked out, you've got a problem. And I understand that people really are clinging onto this, but all they're doing is undermining the validity of our elections. Now, this could be fixed, and this is where the I know a lot of you, uh, the, the liberals out there and the Democrats are probably on board with me right now, but you, I might lose you right here because all this could be fixed simply. We've talked about it numbers of times in this show. Okay? Verification at drop-off locations. Everybody can get a ballot, whatever, but you have to be verified with an ID, and if you want to drop your ballot into a drop box, you need to put the last four digits of your social security number on there. Okay? Verify yourself. Okay, if you want, and I think I've talked about this so many times, 
Red boxes, right? There's tons of red boxes. We've seen these things. You know what I'm talking about. One of those, but for voting. You have to scan your ID, scan your passport, whatever it is, some kind of unique QR voter code that you have. There's a million ways you could do it. It goes in there. It's not an open container. It sucks it in like you would put money into like a coin machine. Good to go, right? Verified, secure elections. Election ID is not racist. All right? There's many ways we can do it. They don't require a driver's license, but they do require something. Social security number or something. Last four of your social is a really good verifier, right? If your bank can use it, then fucking the the federal government should be fine with it, right? If it's secure enough for your bank account, it's secure enough for an election, I would assume. And there's ways to go about doing that. But the, the, the big takeaway here is like, if you can't see how Trump could have lost to Biden at that time. Now, if the election was held today and the same thing happened, different conversation completely. But at that time, People wanted boring, okay? They were okay with a president that couldn't think or speak because they wanted boring because we had a president that was tweeting at 4 o'clock in the morning and lives off Diet Cokes and KFC, all right? So like, there's problems all the way around here, all the way around here. we got to be mindful of that. But this, this documentary is a grift and it's uncompelling and it does not do a good job of steel manning the other side or creating any other excuses for why these things could have happened besides the, the, the reasoning that they want to see. It is so laden with confirmation bias. It is a complete wash and a complete waste of everyone's time and money. And the fact that this asshole made this thing 30 fucking dollars is clownish. I'm so glad it's been pirated. If you want to actually watch this thing, go watch it on BitChute. Do not give this guy any money at all. None. Don't give him a cent of your time of money. And if you want to give his documentary some time, I encourage you to do so, but do it through through a critical lens and don't just see what you want to see. All right. Oh, they've also gotten, I wanted to finish off with this real quick. They're also like, well, we're going to release more information soon. Yeah. Yeah. Like Sidney Powell released the Kraken. That's what, this is the same shit, guys. They're stringing you along, wanting you to get more money. You, you pay, if you, cause if you pay for his monthly membership on locals, then you get free stuff, right? With your membership. So you're paying this membership fee every month for this thing. So they keep kicking the can down the road as far as when they're going to release more information. They just get paid more and more, which are perverse incentives. So guys, 2,000 Mules, not compelling whatsoever. It's a fucking joke. Again, if you want to watch it, I encourage you to do so, but don't pay Dinesh a cent for it. Go watch it on BitChute. Go watch the pirated version. I couldn't find it when I was looking for it, but it's out there now. Feel free to check it out, but do it through a very critical lens, guys. Use your, put your thinking caps on, okay? Put your thinking caps on. Put the confirmation bias to the side and do the best you can. And now it's time for that beautiful part of the show where I give you something to think about. So I posted this tweet or tweeted this tweet and then posted it on Instagram. It says, hey, woke liberals, most people hate you. Hey, MAGA conservatives, most people hate you. Either of you pretending to speak for anyone other than those within your fringe ideology are purely delusional. Um, well, got a lot of comments on that. It was, it was a fun little post. Didn't do crazy good, but it was it was fun. And someone brought up this idea of of the real silent majority, and I wanted to bring that up as something to think about today, because 
we've used this term, right? Trump used it, Reagan used it, the silent majority. And we have really loud fringes, right? Elon Musk talked about this on Twitter. It's like the, the 10% on the left and the 10% on the right are both going to be upset with how Twitter's run now, and that's how it should be. And I firmly agree with that. But what I aim to do here with Politically Homeless, and what I think that most of you guys appreciate about this, if I were to make some kind of claim about what you guys appreciate, is the fact that I just realized this, but it's the fact that I think that I speak and the people in the Patreon speak and the people on social media and the people that listen to this podcast actually speak and feel like they're part of the silent majority. But because the shift in the silent majority now has leaned to people who aren't as vocal, right? Don't need to have a fucking opinion about everything or willing to listen or willing to change their minds. That doesn't lend itself to being loud and obnoxious. And when loudness and obnoxiousness get you clicks, get you attention, it may seem like that's the majoritarian thinking on one side or on the other side. But in the reality, more and more people are drifting to center left, center right, variety of topics, almost politically homeless. So what I want you to think about as we go into the 2022 um, midterms and into 2024, is it possible that the voice of the politically homeless is the new voice of the silent majority? I think it's worth thinking about, but maybe it's just me. Thank you guys so much for being here. You are the fucking best. I love you with all my little heart. My little Grinch heart. You can make my heart grow a size or two by joining the Patreon. Patreon.com slash politically homeless. Thank you all for being here. Keep your head on straight, especially if you watch this documentary, <laughs> 2000 Mules. Oh, Stay sane. Catch you guys next time. Bye-bye.